Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Luna Lover the Podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Arakbal people of the Bunjalung Nation, and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Jordana Levine. In today's episode, I'm going to be answering some of your astrology questions. I've done a couple of episodes like this in the past. You guys love them. So hopefully there'll be questions that I answer in today's episode that have been on your mind. As always, I put a question box up on Instagram. So I'm getting real life questions from you. So I'm not just coming up with them all on my own. So do keep an eye out for those question boxes in the future. Now, I've tried to answer as many questions as I can today. I've found 10 that encapsulate the themes, I guess, that most of you are asking questions around. There's a few questions I haven't answered, and that was because they were a little bit too specific, and I didn't feel like they were going to impact a wide group of people. So basically, I've chosen the 10 that I think are going to benefit the majority of you. You're welcome. First question, is play evident in your natal chart? Might sound like a random question, but I wanted to answer it because it's very much connected to last week's Leo full moon. If you listen to that episode, you'll know that I said that the moon was encouraging us to prioritize play. It's one of the big Leo themes, right? And play can be very, very tricky as an adult. Um, A few of you had suggestions on Instagram around how you play, but there are ways that we can sort of look for play or our ability to play or the best ways to play by looking at the natal chart. Now, the first place that I would look for clues is in your fifth house. Yeah, the fifth house is the house of creative self-expression, of childlike innocence. It is the house of children. It's where children sit in the natal chart. Um, And I think it has a very playful energy to it. Its natural ruler is Leo. So that's where I would look. Now, it's hard for me to give you examples of exactly what to look for. That's something we'd have to do in a natal chart reading. Or if you joined me for celestial storytelling, you could probably work it out yourself. But I'll give you an example of how my fifth house plays out and how it affects my play. I've mentioned it on here before, but I have Saturn in my fifth house. And Saturn um, can disrupt our ability to play because it adds sort of like a serious filter over things. It's the next thing I'm going to talk about um, when looking for evidence of play in the chart. But just stick with me for now. I've got Saturn in my fifth house. So even as a child, I was quite serious, right? I found it hard to just let go. Um, And as an adult, I'm getting better at it because I'm conscious of it. But it is something that I have to consciously work at. It doesn't come naturally to me. 
Now, which brings me to the next thing you might want to look for in your chart. Is Saturn aspecting your sun or your ascendant? If so, it can also make you quite serious. So when I say in aspect two, it could be conjuncting, it could be opposing, it could be squaring your sun or ascendant. So the fifth house and then looking where Saturn is and how Saturn affects other planets in your chart, I think are probably the easiest way for an amateur to have a look at where play might be evident in the natal chart. If we're looking at the signs that are naturally quite playful without even trying, they are, of course, Leo, uh, Aries and Sag, the fire signs. The fire signs in themselves are quite playful because they're not consumed by thoughts or critique. They're not consumed by feelings. They just act. And I love that about them. Now, Gemini is also a very playful sign. Uh, But like I said, even though my chart is completely Gemini, that Saturn in the fifth house is strong enough to take some, not all, but some of that play away. So that's the first question. I hope that answered it for the listener in question, but also it's of interest to the rest of you. Second question, what does it mean to have a mid-heaven placement in a house? First off, I just want to say the midheaven is an angle in the chart and it always sits on the cusp of the 10th house. So you can't have the midheaven anywhere else except on the cusp of the 10th house. It's one of four significant angles in the chart and they all have different meanings, right? So we've got the ascendant, which is an angle. Opposite the ascendant, we have the descendant. Up the top of the chart, not always sitting directly at the top, but near the top of the chart on the cusp of the 10th house, we have the midheaven, also known as the MC. And at the bottom of the chart on the cusp of the fourth house, opposite the MC, we have the IC, also known as the Nadir. Now the MC, the midheaven, which is the placement in question, represents who you are in your public facing role, right? So it makes a lot of sense that it's on the cusp of the 10th house. The 10th house is the house of your public facing self. It tells us a lot about career, yes, but it can also tell us about your role as parent. It can even go beyond that and tell us about your role as a public figure, or your role within the community, anywhere you're being seen. Reading the midheaven on its own isn't always helpful. Um, I think you need to read it in the con, not I think, I know you need to read it in the context of the entire chart. Whatever sign your midheaven is in could be impacted by the planets that are in the 10th house. It could be impacted by planets that are opposite it. There could be other placements in the chart that would uh, be more dominant over your midheaven placement. We learn all of this in celestial storytelling and we learn it in level one. We, we actually learn about the midheaven in the very first week of the course. So hopefully that answered your question. Um, but to summarize, the midheaven or the MC is always on the cusp of the 10th house. It is the cusp of the 10th house. All right, next question. Venus, Mars and Pluto conjunction. What does it mean for each sign? 
Now, I'm going to use this as a good question to explain some really important things about the kind of astrology information that you're going to get off me in my podcast, in my courses, in the Lunar Lover subscription. I've mentioned it before, but I'm going to mention it again. When an astrologer says this transit will affect these signs in this way in an almost horoscope type manner, it's creative writing right? Your entire natal chart will determine how a transit like that plays out for you. There's so many things that go into determining how a certain transit will play out for you. I can tell you, which I do on this podcast, how a certain transit might affect us collectively. But for me to say, oh, Aries will be affected this way and Taurus will be affected that way and Gemini will be affected this way, so on and so forth is just not going to give you an accurate reading. And I, look, I'm all for astrologers doing it because I get I get that we've got to create content. I get that there's clickbait in that. And if you're happy to just read like a really generalized horoscope of how it's going to affect you, fine. I just don't think there's much value in it, to be honest, all right? Especially with a conjunction like that. So Pluto, yes, very slowly moving. But Venus and Mars are going to move past Pluto very fast. So that conjunction, I haven't looked at it specifically, but it's only going to last a few days, yeah? And then the other thing I want to say is when we say, what does it mean for each sign? You've got to ask yourself, well, what sign are you referring to? Are you referring to your sun sign? Are you referring to your moon sign? Are you referring to your ascendant sign? In the case that you're reading a horoscope, even though I don't believe that it's the best way to practice astrology, if you do want to read your horoscope, you're actually better off reading your ascendant sign. That's going to give you a little more accuracy than reading your sun sign. So, This particular conjunction though, this Venus, Mars and Pluto conjunction that this listener has asked about, it will happen around Feb 17. And I say around because Venus and Mars are moving. There's times when Venus is closer to Mars. There's times when Venus is closer to Pluto. But I feel like the closest I can see the conjunction is on the 17th of Feb. In terms of like a generalized reading of what it would mean or prediction I guess of what it would mean we could say an intensity around relationships transformation in relationships depending on your chart it could be a power dynamic or control situation in relationships but also it could be around finances yeah it's really hard to say without looking at your own natal chart that is something if, if you are concerned about this particular conjunction, which I wouldn't be, but if you are or there's a particular transit that you are concerned about, that's something that we can discuss in a transits and progressions reading. Or once you've done level two of celestial storytelling, you'll be able to do that for yourself, which is pretty exciting and very cool. It is a superpower, I promise. All right, I loved this question and I'm kind of shitty with myself that I didn't bring it up as a point as a topic to discuss regardless of it being asked, but I'm so glad this person asked. The question is, what can we say about the generation of kids born with Pluto in Aquarius? Now, it's a really great question because it is a generation that's being born with Pluto in Aquarius, right? Every child born from now, a few months off at the end of the year, but from now until 2044, end of 43, early 44, 
are going to have their Pluto in Aquarius. And I'm going to be so bold as to say these are the kids that are going to save humanity. Yeah, they're the change makers. They're the innovators. They're the inventors. New technology will be created by them over the next 20 years, but also they're going to be the ones implementing this technology, right? I truly, truly, truly believe, I've said it before, I'm here and I don't care what other people think, but I believe the world is going to get a restart over the coming years, maybe not the next few years, but after that. Um, And these kids will be the ones that will be most impacted by it, right? And they're gonna carry it into the future. So I have high hopes for the kids born in the next 20 years while Pluto is in Aquarius. All right, next question. Oh, we're sticking with kids with the next question. Where to look in a child's chart to support them in schooling and education? Love this question. I did a podcast episode about uh, nurturing your kid's natal chart. Um, I will find that and link it in the show notes of this episode because it's a really great episode and I know lots of mamas and papas found it really helpful. Um, So I will link that. And also if you're a primary school teacher or early childhood teacher, very valuable episode for you as well. Um, But this question is where to look in in a child's chart to support them in schooling and education. The first thing I would do... Um, is look at the third house. The third house is the house of communication and learning. I would put school in the third house. I would also put school up in the ninth house. That's also where we get our wisdom from. But early school days, I'm gonna I'm gonna say third house. Look at what's going on in the third house. Look at their Mercury sign and house placement of their Mercury. Is it aspecting another planet? That's going to give you some intel into how that Mercury plays out. Mercury, of course, is the planet of communication, but also of how we learn, right? How we process information. Their rising sign will impact how they're perceived by others. So that's also something to really kind of understand within their chart, especially if it's quite different to their moon sign, which is how they feel inside. And I believe that we're a little bit more connected to our moon sign when we're younger. And then as we start to be informed on how we should regulate our emotions, which isn't always the right information, uh, we can disconnect from our moon sign. So really nurturing their emotional self, their moon sign, and seeing how different it is to how others are perceiving them. Because if it's very different, if it's a very different sign, it's likely they're not feeling seen by other people, right? And maybe it's about figuring out how to connect them a little bit more with their ascendant, their rising sign. Shy kids will usually have Saturn conjunct their sun or their rising sign. Uh, Saturn in the first can also speak to shy kids. That goes for shy adults as well. Uh, I would look to the fifth house, see what's happening in the fifth house. Like I said before, that's the house of creative self-expression and play also sits in the fifth house. If I was looking at a kid's chart as an astrologer, and FYI, I can do this for you, 
I would also look at their MC. I'd look at their 11th house. I'd probably check out what was going in the second house and what was going on in the sixth house. Second house is kind of where we look at natural talents. Sixth house is where we look at skills and the day-to-day. And so school can also sit in the sixth house. So there's lots of different things we can look at. But if you guys are looking at home, I'd say the best place to start is the third house and have a looking, having a look at their Mercury sign and then having a look at their rising sign. All right. Okay. Next question. Are the degrees in a sign slash house significant? Yes and no. Yes, if you want to really understand how you can apply astrology and the current transits to you specifically and your natal chart, if you want to be able to understand aspects within the natal chart. So again, aspects are conjunctions, oppositions, squares, sextiles, quincucks. We can just keep going with those. The degrees matter when it comes to that side of astrology, right? When you want to get a little bit more technical, when you want to understand how transits are affecting you specifically, Yes, degrees of a sign and a house are very significant. No, not significant if you're just here for the moon stuff and love hearing about the different signs. If that's why you're here and I'm happy to have you, I would say the majority of you sit in this camp. The degree stuff is not important, all right? It's overwhelming if you don't know what you're looking for. But once you do, it's actually incredibly easy. It really, really is. I teach all of this in celestial storytelling. We learn it in level one. The degrees of the signs and then in turn the houses are very important. And once you understand it, there's so much more you can apply. All right, next question. Can you please explain why some houses appear empty? Now, I've answered this question every single time we do a question episode, but I'm I'm going to answer it again because it's important and I know that I have a lot of new listeners and it is a question I get all the time. So there are 10 planets and 12 houses, right? Many planets travel very close together. So logistically, it's actually impossible to have a planet in every house of the natal chart, right? Couldn't possibly do it. Even if the planets didn't travel close together there's always going to be a house without a planet if a house is empty it's empty of a planet yes but it's not empty of a sign you have all 12 signs in your natal chart and those signs give that house energy right empty houses in my opinion are never a bad thing I mean look there's no good or bad in astrology but it's not something to be worried about if anything it makes life in that house a little bit easier there's less challenges there's less lesson learning that house isn't where you're extracting the juice in this lifetime so for example people freak out when they don't have anything in their seventh house the house of relationships oh my god does this mean i'm never going to be in relationships no i mean i would kill for an empty seventh house seventh house with no planets means you're not deriving your lessons through relationships your biggest challenges in life are likely not going to come through relationships right it's a nice easy breezy house to not have planets in so please do not worry if houses appear empty 
Again, they're not empty. There's a sign in there. There's just no planet in there. And then the other thing to note is that as the planets move throughout the year, so the transits, they will be moving through those houses. All right. So you're always going to have energy in those houses. Don't you worry about nothing. Another house question I had was if a sign is sitting on the line or the cusp of two houses, does it apply to both houses? This is a tricky question to answer without visuals, but yes and no. What you want to look at is the degree of the sign on the cusp, right? So the lines this listener is talking about, they're the cusps of the houses. Natal charts work in an anti-clockwise direction, all right? So we start with the ascendant, which is on the left-hand side of the chart, and then we move in an anti-clockwise direction. Every sign is 30 degrees. And when I say 30 degrees, I mean it starts at zero degrees and it goes until 29 degrees. So that's 30 degrees in total. Looking at the degree on the cusp of a house tells you how much of that sign is in the previous house and how much of that sign is in the next house. Now, the sign on the cusp, (laughs) this is very advanced. If it's going over your head, let it go. The sign on the cusp will rule that house in your chart. But that doesn't mean that another sign won't also occupy it. Those kinds of intricacies are there for astrologers to gather more information and go deeper. The average astrology buff doesn't really need to overthink that, all right? But we will be going through that in Celestial Storytelling Level 1. I will have visuals so I can show you. And I promise, like, I am... Okay, let me just let me just give you a rundown. I am not just terrible at maths. I'm terrible with numbers. If you say more than four, maybe five numbers at me at once, I won't remember past the fifth number, right? My brain starts going weird and spasming out. So numbers are not my thing, right? So when I first started studying astrology six years ago and we were talking about degrees, I couldn't handle it because I was like, okay, so I've got to work out how many degrees came before the cusp of that house and then how many go forward and then how that relates to the sign on the opposite side of the chart. And my brain just kept freezing on me and I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. But then you can, right? It's actually super simple. If I can do it, basically what I'm saying is if I can do it, you can do it. In summary, don't overthink it. But if you want to know how to do it and understand it, join me for Celestial Storytelling. All right. Uh, Love this question as well. Next question. Love languages. Is there a general way that the elements want to be loved? I love this. I love this. Um, This is just me riffing off the top of my head from what I know about love languages. There is no rule book for this. I mean, there's no rule book for astrology, but there's no rule book for this question. This is my personal opinion. Again, it's going to depend on the natal chart, right? But I would probably look at Venus and Mars placements here. But look, I mean, you could go... You could look at your sun, moon and rising as well. But let Venus, Mars, moon maybe is probably the best, the best signs to look at. So this listener mentioned the elements. The elements she's talking about, of course, are fire, earth, air and water. Um, all of the 12 signs in the zodiac fall into one of those four categories. So the fire signs, Aries, Leo, Sag, the earth signs, Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn, the air signs, Gemini, Libra, Aquarius, and the water signs, Cancer, Scorpio, 
Pisces. So if we're looking at the love languages, which are acts of service, gifts, physical touch, words of affirmation and quality time, this is how I would split them up um, by elements. Earth, acts of service, for sure, definitely, right? The tangible things, right? Uh, Also gifts, material things. Fire, I would probably say physical touch, probably words of affirmation, especially Leo. Uh, Water, I would say quality time and physical touch. Air, I would say words of affirmation and quality time. Now, if I had to add my own love languages in there, I would say air, also intellectual stimulation, water, talking about your feelings, (laughs) fire, going on adventures would be a love language and earth, making them feel safe and secure, right? So have a little think about your own placements and what elements they fall under and if that feels true to you. And then have a think about your partner's placements and perhaps ask them what their love languages are and if that stands true or not. I'd be interested to know. Like I said, I just made that up, so I'm not sure. But that's that's how I would categorize them. Uh, Okay, next question. Are we more embodied in our North Node after the age of 30? Hmm. I feel like you've heard this from somewhere and I'm going to say not necessarily. You're more embodied in your Saturn sign after your Saturn return. And that is usually around the age of 30 as you're coming out of your Saturn return. And generally, as we age, if we're honoring our chart, we do become more embodied in our North Node. But I wouldn't attribute that to a specific age. I've done readings for 21-year-olds who are totally living out their North Node already, right? And I've done readings for people in their 50s, even later in their 60s, who are still very much stuck in their South Node, right? Ideally, I reckon after your second nodal return, which by the time you're coming out of that is the age of 37, you should, you should definitely be edging towards your North Node a lot more. Your first node will return, by the way, is at the age of 18. So you might even go through some lessons around that age as you're coming into adulthood that get you a little bit closer to that North Node. But by 37, we sort of really want to be waking up to it. Checking in with your North Node and really saying, okay, am I embodying the qualities of this sign? What do I have to learn from this sign so that I can embody the qualities of it more? And then also checking in with your North Node and say, hang on, am I hanging out in the low vibrational energy of this sign? And if you are, then you can just start making um, leaps and strides whenever you goddamn like to get closer to that North Node energy. All right, last question. What are some signs that you're going through your Saturn return? Okay, interesting question. Saturn return is a specific time period for everybody, 
right? It's not so much a feeling or circumstance, although there's certainly things that you will feel and probably experience during your Saturn return. But it's not like, oh, this is a sign I'm going through it. You are actually going through it when transiting Saturn is at the same degree or edging towards the same degree as your natal Saturn in the same sign. You can find out the exact dates of your Saturn return online. Just Google Saturn return calculator. For some people, it's a month. For some people, it's a couple of months. For some people, it's a period of months. It will depend on what Saturn's doing. If Saturn's retrograde uh, near your Saturn, your specific Saturn return, then it can last a lot longer. Now they say, oh, when Saturn moves into the sign of your natal Saturn, that's your Saturn return. It is, and it'll last about two and a half years. But there's a specific date right? Or time period where it's at the exact degree. And that's where you're really going to feel your Saturn return. Huh. All right, my loves, that is your episode. Um, I hope I answered everyone's questions. Like I said, I sort of uh, answered the ones that I thought would be relevant to the most amount of people. Um, but I will try and do one of these episodes a month. So make sure you keep checking in on Instagram for when a question box comes up. If you are interested in joining me for celestial storytelling, like I said throughout the episode, there's lots of different things we're going to learn to deepen your knowledge of astrology um, that's really going to be helpful for you when it comes to applying astrology specifically to you and your natal chart as we go through different transits throughout the year. If you want to join me, we kick off on March 4. There's a link in the show notes of this episode or you can just head to jordanalevine.com forward slash readings and there's a link to Celestial Storytelling there. While you're on that page on my website and you want to book yourself in for a reading, you can do that. Um, I don't know when availability is. I think March, maybe April now. Um, but book yourself in because it will just keep moving further and further away. Um, All right, my loves, I will be back next week. We've got an Aquarius new moon. It's a big one. It's squaring Uranus, which is the planet that rules Aquarius. So it couldn't get more bloody Aquarius. So that's going to be exciting. Um, Until then, I'm Jordana Levine and you've been listening to Luna Lover, the podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.